Thanks for listening to the Mercy Church Podcast. If you're in the area, we want to invite you to join us the last weekend in March as we celebrate Good Friday and Easter Sunday. Good Friday services will be at 6 p.m. on Friday evening. And then on Sunday morning, we invite you to join us for a time of worship, a message, and baptisms. Bring your friends, your family, and if you feel so led, invite your coworker, cashier, or barista to join you. Services will be held at regular service times at all campuses. To learn more, visit mercycharlotte.com slash events. Again, that's mercycharlotte.com slash events. If you're newer to Mercy, we're walking through Paul's letter uh, to a young church planner named Titus. So if you got your Bible, go ahead, head over there. We got a lot of ground to cover, okay? Chapter one, we're gonna be in chapter two. Chapter one that we spent about three weeks in was all about where we are going, how our eternal destination interprets our present reality, or easier way to say it, where I'm going later determines what I'm doing now. Right, if I'm gonna run a marathon at 2 p.m., I'm not having fettuccine Alfredo for lunch. You know what I'm saying? What I'm doing later determines what I'm doing now. If I wanna buy a house later, I gotta save up today. If my first day at my new job is tomorrow, you better believe I'm going to bed early tonight. If my last day at my old job is tomorrow, I'm all turned down for what tonight, right? Like it just depends on what's happening later determines my present course of action. And then Paul's saying my eternal future determines my present course of action. And look, that's about all I can give you for those first three weeks. You have to catch the podcast if you need any more on that. Today, we're jumping into chapter, chapter two. And Paul devotes this whole chapter not to where we are going, but to who we are becoming on that journey there. When you believe for the long haul, believing for the long haul, that's the theme of our, our whole letter, our whole series. When you believe for the long haul, the evidence of that belief will start to show up in a changed life. The bottom line, guys, is your life will change because of your belief in the gospel. Chapter two is a direct call, a challenge even, to step up and to step into the shoes of the man or the woman that God is calling you to be and he's created you to be. So this week is all about what it means to become the man God has created you to be. And the next sermon's gonna be all about becoming the woman that God has created you to be. And I know you're excited about my insights into that, okay? Don't worry, I got some good plans in place, all right? Uh, but this is, here's, this is really important. Before we talk about, and actually it's the way Paul sets it up, there's a, there's a teaching today that is on what it means to be a real man and then what it means to be a real woman. We'll cover it next week. There's a teaching in verses two through 10 on that, but you gotta see how Paul frames this teaching, okay? Because there's gonna be a lot of what we're supposed to be, but you gotta see how he frames it on the front end and on the back end. The first thing he does, so we'll go ahead and look at verse one. He says, you are to pro- proclaim things consistent. You, by the way, is Titus, right? That's the pastor who's planting this church. You're to proclaim things consistent with sound teaching. Another word for consistent would be, you're to, the things that you're to proclaim for people to do are the things that should be consistent should be a fitting response to sound teaching. What's sound teaching? It's the gospel. That's what we spent the first three weeks all about. The whole idea of chapter one is us marveling at the, the beauty, the majesty of God, marveling, worshiping, being grateful for what Christ did. We're looking back. This is the perspective of every Christian looking up at who God is, looking back at what he did for us 
on the cross, taking our sins, and then coming out of the tomb, right, declaring us free from sin and death. So we're looking back, and then we're looking ahead to where we will be one day with Christ forever in glory. That's the perspective that we are to have, and that's what he's saying. You got to remember that long-haul belief is looking back, looking forward, and looking up all at the same time. In verses 2 through 10, they're going to be talking about kind of how we live is all in response to that, but then he bookends it, so that's one setting right there on the front, one part of this, this kind of framing he's doing. The other bookend, the other end of the frame is verses 11 through 14. Listen to this. He says, for. You can read that because. You can read that in response to. The reason you're going to be the man or the woman God's called you to be is in response to the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Hear the celebration in that? It's instructing us. It's kind of like you could highlight the four there, highlight the instructing us. This gospel, this grace, it, it teaches us to deny godlessness and worldly lusts and to live in a sensible, righteous, and godly way here in our present age. While we wait for the blessed hope. You see what he's doing? He's saying, what's coming? He's saying, what's coming? While we're here, but our, our perspective and eyes are fixed while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And then, because this is Paul, and this should be a reminder for us just in how we live day to day, he goes right back to the gospel. He gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to cleanse for himself a people for his own possession and that people eager to do good works. He's making the same point on both sides of this instruction on manhood and womanhood. He's saying, and I want you to write this down if you take notes, everything about how we live is a response to what we experience in the gospel. This, I cannot overstate this point, especially because we're getting into talking about manhood and womanhood. Here's my hope is that you do feel yourself challenged by God's word over the, this weekend and, and when we go through womanhood. I hope you feel that challenge, but here's the, the danger. You might just feel it as a list of things that you are supposed to measure up to. And if you just do the things on the list, then you'll be approved by God. God will then finally approve of you. And that, that's just not at all what Paul is saying. And if you view the Christian life that way, it will crush you. And maybe you've been there before. Maybe you've been in that kind of religion before where it's, you gotta be this, you gotta be this, you gotta be this, you gotta be this, or you're not approved of by God. That will crush you because you'll never be perfect. You'll always fall short of that. You might have a few good days, a few good weeks, but then you'll fall off again on one of those checklists, and there you are feeling like you are not approved of by God, God that can't love you because of how messed up you are. Listen, from the very first day that you become a follower of Christ, that you decide that his death was for your sins to pay the price for your sins, his resurrection brought you freedom from that sin and eternal life got from the day that you believe that until the day you breathe your very last breath on this earth, your life is a response to God's grace towards you. It's a response. In fact, look again at verse, um, I want to look at verse 11. He said, I want you to hear the celebration of this. He says, for salvation has come to all people. So what we're doing is we're living in a response to the salvation. This year, hear the declaration, the celebration of that salvation to all people. I told you I went to um, I went to UNC Chapel Hill for college, and there would be this time that would I was right. There would be this time that would happen um, whenever we had the the great um, joy of beating Duke in basketball. It's a huge rivalry, right? So that's our rival, and so we beat them freshman year. And it's like all UNC students have a 
they share a hive mind, and we all just ran to Franklin Street without anybody telling us to, right? So we all go out there, but it's not like a riot. It's like this joyful celebration. And I mean, I at least hugged 200 people that I did not know that night. That is what you do. You just run around hugging people. And I remember there was this one guy who I had a religion, a religion class with the previous semester, and it was clear, I mean, even at 18-year-old freshman year, that he and I did not agree on anything. We were the opposite sides of, like, all the social spectrums, ideologies, everything. We lock eyes about 15 feet away, and we kind of, well, you know, then we just get this big old, big old hug together, right? Why? Because, as silly as this sounds, what united us was greater than what was dividing us. Right, and I see what Paul is going here, going after here with salvation has come to all people. I think that's how the church should be. This celebration where people of all social classes and all cultures are celebrating together because salvation has come to all of us. And that salvation, verse 12 says, that's what's instructing us to a better way to live. We have found ourselves saved from sin that we could have never done on our own. The Lord has saved us, and here I am with some other people. It doesn't matter your background. You have been saved as well, and now we look at how do we live together, and he starts with the guys. Now, he's starting with these guys first, so guys, this weekend's for you. Ladies, do not check out, though, because you need to make, listen, it is my responsibility as your pastor to make sure that you, if you're single, that you date and marry men not boys with beards, all right? That is a big deal to me. Some of you um, are going to wind up parenting and you're gonna be moms to boys and it is my job to make sure and it is your job along with, your, along with everyone else that's involved in that to make sure that you raise men, not boys with beards, right? And some of you are, you're not gonna be married, you're not gonna have children, that's not gonna be your story, but you as a part of our church family have a responsibility. In fact, I've talked to several guys who told me that it was other single women in their life who did not settle for them clowning around as boys and called them up to God's vision for manhood that was instrumental in their life, and that's gonna be your calling. This calling God has here is for all of us. And this is the one thing, this is just one of the things I get really fired up about, okay? Because, all right, men, look at me. At age 18, boyhood is over. And, and we as a culture are generous with that. Most cultures in prior histories, it, it was long before that. Boyhood is over. God has created you to grow into manhood, and God blesses manhood. God's design is for men to bring about the flourishing of the whole human race. When men are at their best, everyone around them flourishes. And I have so many stories I can tell you from my own personal life. I, one that a buddy of mine told me um, not too long ago where he said he was, um, he was raised across the street from, he and his family were across the street from a girl that showed up um, at their house as their neighbor, and she was in her teens, and she shows up, and she's got bruises all on her arms. And he said, I'll never forget this. My dad walked out the door, walked into her house, put down a bag, packed up all her stuff, moved her out, and moved her into our house. Now, you might think, that's a man, right? Courage and everything like that. That's true. That's courage in the moment. But he said the thing that really impacted him was the next several years as he watched his mom and dad raise this girl into the woman that God had created her to be and said there's value and there's dignity in who you are before God. And now she's flourishing in adulthood as a woman. That's a man. When men flourish, the whole human race flourishes. But listen, 
I think there is a severe manhood crisis in our day. Many men are confused. There's almost no man I meet who has a compelling vision for who they're supposed to be when they grow up. When asked what a, what's a real man, most have no answer. And the ones that do have an answer don't have anything that would inspire you to rise to the occasion. There's no target for men to aim at when it becomes what it means to be a man. Men are also disappointed. Many have reached adulthood and their ambitions have been replaced by hard-hitting reality. They're not the person they thought they would be. They're not where they thought they'd be in life. Many men are lonely. In fact, the older most men get, the fewer and fewer true friends they have. And I know far too many men who would say I have no, not one single true friend. Men are in a faith crisis right now. 90, listen, 90% of the boys raised in church abandon their faith during their teens and 20s. Right now, there are 6 million women who worship alone every Sunday while their husbands stay at home in America. Men are in pain. Men are in pain. They shy away from it. They don't know how to express it. That pain leads to lashing out. 91% of domestic violence is caused by men. 90% of all reported crime is caused by men. One in five women have been sexually abused or assaulted by a man. The Surgeon General said emergency room visits resulting from domestic violence of men against women accounts for more adult woman visits than rape, traffic accidents, and muggings combined. Psychologist Rollo May kind of painted this picture as clear as I've seen it. He said, the clearest picture of an empty life is the suburban man who gets up at the same hour every weekday morning, takes the same train to work in the city, performs the same tasks at the office, lunches at the same places, leaves the same tip for the waitress, comes home on the same train each night, spends a two-week vacation at the shore every summer, which he does not enjoy, goes to church but does not really know why he goes, and moves through a routine, mechanical existence, year after year, until he finally retires at age 65 and very soon thereafter dies of heart failure, possibly brought on by repressed anger, though I have always, always have the suspicion that he died from boredom. Society programs us to live this way, a job we're supposed to have, money we're supposed to make, a wife we're supposed to marry. We move through that process as if we're on a conveyor belt through some standardized manhood process, and we have no higher calling on our lives than ourselves. And y'all, us staying that way, that's our fault. Don't put that on somebody. That's on us, and we need to repent of that. And today, we are writing a new script for manhood. We're not gonna get all the way there, but it is time for you and I to set our sights on something higher. So in this passage, I'm gonna show you two things. I'm gonna show you who a real man is. I'm just gonna walk through the passage to show you that. And then I'm gonna show you how to take just a couple of starting block steps to becoming the man God is calling you to be. And listen, Mercy Church, we are going to be a place where boys to men is not a 90s group. That is our mission, okay? That is what we are going after. So let's start with who a real man is. Who a real man is. This vision is not one that is bound to a particular culture. God is saying that among true men, men who seek to honor God with their lives, there are certain just universal characteristics. It's not a personality, okay? There's nothing in here about being a lumberjack or a ladies' man or a financial titan or some hipster barista, okay? That's not what you're going to find. Nothing, by the way, it's also important that you have to assimilate into one culture. Not at all. This vision of manhood crosses all personalities and all cultures for all times. All that said, verse two, this will be our main one today. Older men are to be self-controlled, worthy of respect, sensible and sound and 
faith, love, and endurance. So older men, that's age 36 and up. And the reason I know that is because I'm 35. So don't be surprised if that moves next year just as we keep going. Uh, but no, look, the point is with older men is this is what we are aiming for. So younger men, you're, you're aiming for this is what your life is to look like. And some of you that are older men, this is what your life has looked like. But this is all where we're, we're aiming for, where we're raising boys up to be. This is, the, this is what we're raising them for. And so then he goes, let's go through the list. The first one, self-control. This one seems to be the most important one to Paul on the list. And I say that because it's the only one that he makes sure to emphasize for older men, older women, younger women, younger men. He hits all of them with this. And in fact, that's not new to Paul. 13 other times in his letters, he talks about self-control as a defining character trait. Like self-control is the evidence that there's someone that's following Christ. And none of these in this list, by the way, are like cryptic or hard to figure out. Okay, but this one's especially easy to understand. Self-control, the discipline to be able to control yourself. Okay, uh, Paul compares that to an athlete, 1 Corinthians 9, 25. He says, every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath. It's like a trophy. But we, an imperishable one, remember, looking forward to what's coming for us. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself, I myself should be disqualified. He's saying if an athlete has an urge to eat fast food, the urge to skip practice, the, even the urge to kind of have a lack of discipline in his form or in her form as she's practicing, what Paul says is when they have that urge, they deny that urge because the prize that they're after is worth. It's better than the urge, what would satisfy them, so they deny it to get what they're after. And Paul's saying, that's us. The way we run our lives is evidence of what prize we truly want to attain. Is Christ better than anything else? And if he is, we don't want to sacrifice him for lesser things. Because y'all listen, the Bible, from time to time as you read, it's going to bring up the phrase, the desires of the flesh. You may have even heard me read through it sometime before in a sermon. What it's talking about is how our body has been affected by sin here on the earth. Ever since Adam sinned, sin has been in the world, it's been a part of all of us. We're all sinners, and sin affects our desires, and now we crave things that ultimately will destroy us. They're destructive to us, but we kind of want them. Like a runner might crave a milkshake, but saying no to it during training because he or she thinks the prize is better, in the same way, your flesh is going to have cravings of all kinds, and giving into them will steer you away from the Lord, from Christ and the salvation He's offered you. Listen to me. This is very simple, but very important for us. Either you control your flesh or your flesh controls you. It's just one or the other. It's a simple, it's such a simple truth, but so important because guys, you will never be able to grow into the man God is calling you to be if you do not have self-control. It's that simple. I think the way this uniquely applies to men is actually connected to the very last of the traits that Paul says in verse two here. So I wanna jump to the end of this verse because I think you're gonna find a unique connection here. The, the last thing he says, he says, men are to be sound in endurance. I know I'm bringing it up a little out of order, but it's actually the only one that Paul sets aside uniquely for older men. You wanna know how you're gonna become a, a man? It's endurance. Here's why. There's a temptation among older men to start to coast through life. They get weary of of living all their lives just to help other people. And they're like, man, I'm gonna start living for myself. 
And certainly our culture applauds this, right? You get the kids grown, get them out of the house, then you can buy that cherry red convertible and you know, breeze with whatever hair is left on your head. It can kind of flow in the wind as you're going down the road. You make enough money, you can go live on a golf course three days a week, and you can finally name that boat the Sizzler or whatever you're going to, I don't know, whatever you're going to name the boat. What ends up happening to those guys? Those guys who chase self-satisfaction, they usually end up becoming some of the grumpiest, hardest to get along with people of all. Why? Because that's not how God designed manhood. Instead, Paul says, endure, not because God needs you to endure, but because you are not designed to reach an age where you stop responding to the gospel. You know, any of you know the story of Caleb, Joshua 14? All right, Caleb is 85 years old, and he looks at young leader Joshua and says, listen, young buck, about 40 years ago, me and Moses were hanging out, and God told Moses that Mount Hebron in the promised land, was going to be mine. I I was going to be my job. The Lord was going to lead me to take that, and I was going to take that for God's people. That was my calling. Well, I'm 85 now. The Lord has seen fit for me to still be alive, but I haven't taken the hill yet. I want it. And Joshua's like, yes, sir. Please take the hill, sir, right? That's my edited version of how that conversation went down. In Joshua 14, and Caleb goes, and he takes the hill. Men, we have way more reason to persevere in the faith than Caleb did. We have the hope of the resurrection. We have a kingdom we're building that the Lord says is going to last forever. So everything you do in his name is building a legacy that's lasting forever. So I had a a guy in his early 80s, three years ago when we were starting Mercy Church, he asked me if he could join our launch team. Uh, I was early on in the process and I was just kind of like, are you you sure? And he kindly... He looked kindly offended back at me, and he said, listen, young man, I've planted two churches, and I have enough energy in me for at least one more. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. That's great, sir. Glad to have you. You know, I want more of that. Older men, what hill has God kept in front of you? Do you know what that is? Have you prayed and sought that out? What hill has he put in front of you? Take it. You get what Paul is saying to older men? You ever heard the phrase, it's not how you start, but how you finish that matters? Originally comes from Henry Ward Beecher, who said, it's not the going out of port, talking about a ship, it's not going out of port, but coming in that determines the success of the voyage. True men finish strong. Now let's go back to the next one, worthy of respect. Next one in our list. What's interesting with this one is the rest of these traits, for these character traits, you can control, but you can't control this one. Respect is something given back to you when you live a life worthy of it. Ask any man, True men never ask for respect. They're given it. A man who demands respect might be feared, but never truly respected. Worthy of respect to be worthy of honor. It's it's others saying, that man, that's a man I admire. That's a man I aspire to be like. Now, how do you live that way? All right, here's where I'm gonna give you the definition of manhood that I learned 15 years ago, and it has shaped my life and every guy that I disciple up to this point. This is how I respond, how I seek to respond to the gospel. Here's the working definition of manhood. A true man rejects passivity, accepts responsibility, leads courageously, and anticipates God's eternal reward. Now, 
Guys in the back, I need to leave that on the screen for a while because these guys are all going to write it down. They're going to tattoo it later. They want to make sure they get the spelling right. So y'all take the the time to do that. Reject passivity. It means I'm not going to sit and watch. I'm not going to fear commitment to something when commitment is needed. People are going to be able to depend on me. Accepting responsibility means when I'm wrong, I own it. When those under my leadership are wrong, I own it. When a decision needs to be made, I step up. Lead courageously. Courage is the vanishing character trait in the rising generation of men. It's always the vanishing character trait when boys are becoming men. And by courage, I don't mean brash, dumb things that you do that seem bold. Okay, like I told you guys in college, we had this thing called Man Maker where a bunch of college guys, unsupervised, 18 years old, all went out to a farm and one guy made a 10 yard by 10 yard square filled with live bear traps. Then he blindfolded one of us and we had to get through it to prove that we were a man. That's not courage, that's dumb, right? Like that's, that's pretty, that's fortunate we weren't in the hospital with lawsuits, right? That's what that was. Courage, courage is boldness and being the man that God has called you to be. It's, it's understanding the difference between humility and when to exercise humility and when to exercise power in a way that's still humble. It, doing that in relationships. It's asking the girl out, right? Not trying to sneak a date. It's reading Shakespeare to her, not texting it to her right? It's leading the conversation on career moves, on family decisions, on in-law controversies. It's being bold in your workplace, not brash, but courageous. And lastly, anticipating God's greater reward, that's 1 Corinthians 9. Our present life, that's this whole series, believing for the long haul. Our present lives, our responses to victory that we have in Christ, and then looking ahead to eternity with Christ where we will live. We experience that freedom now. We look ahead to the glorious reunion we have with Christ later. Here's the next one, sensible. Be a man who's not driven by emotions to making unwise decisions. True men don't run to extremes. Instead, the gospel has instructed them. Verse 12, I'm telling you, it's a beautiful language that. The gospel instructs them in how to see the world. And here's how true men see the world. They see it as flawed and broken because it is. And they have enough life experience to be able to see that. But at the same time, they see the beautiful reality that it can be because they've seen what God has done in their life. They've seen what God has done in other lives that they have sought to shepherd. And so the true man is one who is realistically hopeful. So he has a right understanding of the world, but he's hopeful about what it's always. Sensible doesn't mean a lack of faith. Sensible doesn't mean pessimistic. It means he's seen God move before. He has an understanding of how God moves and works, and he seeks to employ that for the benefit of everyone else around him. Sound in faith. There's two more, sound in faith and sound in love. Sound in faith. Y'all, we need Caleb's. Older men would be models of faith. In light of their salvation and what they have seen, they are to press in and believe the Lord for the great things he has yet to do. I wanna be real right now. There is an unspoken belief that big, bold leaps of faith are a young man's game. Now, yes, there are opportunities available uniquely to people in a younger stage of life, but can I ask, why should we expect young men and women in their 20s to quit their jobs and move their lives to the mission field, but not empty nesters in their 50s? That seems backwards to me. And I believe the reason is just an absence of enduring faith. You can't stand on the sidelines, older men, and complain that you just don't understand these young people, right? Our whole world's going up in flames, and they keep looking at those screens, and their brains are going to rot. Yes, our brains are rotting, 
Okay, that's now scientifically proven from looking at the screens. But guess what? God still loves the rising generation, flaws and all. So stop complaining and get in the game. Listen, yes, older men, you might be in your greatest years of earning potential. Question, did Paul say, let your earning potential instruct you? No, he said, let the gospel that has saved you, Christ who has saved you, let that instruct you. I don't know if it's gonna be the mission field, I don't know if it's gonna be something else, but I know men's sound in faith will be the men God uses to train younger men in the faith, to train their children in the faith, and to serve as the elders who will train our church in the faith. So my question, every man hears this. It's a simple question. What's the condition of your faith? What's the condition of your faith? Now, ladies, you can clearly see that this applies to you as well. Certainly more will come when we talk about it, but I'll tell you how to find the answer to this question. Are the people around you growing closer to Jesus or further from him because of their proximity to your faith? That's how you find the answer to that question. And let me just say something. As your pastor, that one stings me. That one stings me. Are you, are you growing closer to Christ? Are you being challenged to trust Christ because of what you see in my life? Is my family or my friends growing closer to Christ, being challenged to take leaps of faith because of what they see modeled in my life. That stings me, but it's true. In fact, that's why I love the story of uh, Candlewick Baptist Church, the church that's joining us and gifting their property and assets all to us. It's a Titus two step of faith. Older men and women confronted with a scary step, but not wanting their best days of faith to be behind them, but ahead of them. And so they gave up control of everything they had because that seemed like the way they could honor God and reach people. God's going to use that. Here's the last one. Sound in love. You know, Paul said, 1 Corinthians 13, the greatest single response to the gospel is love. God so loved the world that he sent his son to die for us. Selfless love, sacrificial love. Jesus says, John 13, John 15, John 17, it is the single identifying mark by which the world will know Christianity is legitimate. Now, men, I'm not necessarily talking about your emotions here, okay? But I will say, if you're like, a cold-hearted, stone-faced person all the time. That's probably a gospel issue underneath that. But here's what I'm saying. Has the, the gospel, what has happened, and as you rest in that, has that, and what that means, how God must have loved you, has that warmed your heart to the way you seek to interact with and love others? To be sound in love, that's to be predictably healthy in the way that you care for others. When people think of you, do they think of, oh, how he loves his wife, his family, his friends, his roommates? God calls you to sacrifice yourself for the sake of others, even to the point of death. And when you do it, he calls that love. Now, let me talk real quick about Paul's one aside to younger men. All that, all that with older men, that's all where we're heading. But Paul gives one thing the younger men got to worry about. You ready? Verse six, in the same way, encourage the younger men to be self-controlled in everything. Young guys, you got one thing, one thing. You know the reason why it's only this one thing? It's not because you have short attention spans, okay? The reason is because self-control is the Achilles heel of young men. Young men are prone to be ruled by their desires for power, for pleasure, for fame. Guys, if you got this one thing, man, the Lord could work mightily through you. There's a guy, an old pastor, D.L. Moody, uh, from Chicago 100 years ago, and he said, the world has yet to see 
what God can do with one man fully consecrated or fully sold out for the Lord. The world's yet to even see it. On the flip side, this one thing will keep you from becoming the man God's calling you to be. Look at Proverbs 25. A man without self-control, it's like a city whose walls have been broken through. You, you understand the image? It doesn't matter how smart the citizens of the city are. It doesn't matter how wealthy they are. It doesn't matter how heroic they want to be and how heroic they, they might be. Its walls are broken and the wild beasts and the enemies can just come in at will. Young men, your enemy knows you and is looking to destroy you and your lack of self-control is the thing that he will use. J.C. Ryle said, being ruled by the desires of your body, it will murder your soul. Y'all, I see this in, in every area of a young man's life, but one for sure is the young men that are being destroyed by pornography, by sex outside of marriage. Because what happens is that leads to a lack of control and dignity with how you treat women. You begin to view them as objects instead of people, so you disrespect them in how you look at them, how you pressure a woman that you're not married to to dishonor God with her body so that you can satisfy the desires of your flesh that's out of control. When men have no self-control, they harm themselves and harm everyone else around them. And so the last thing I'll say to you, young men, is self-control is a choice. Don't let people feed you the narrative that boys will be boys. No, 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 no. Boys will be men, and they will be what they are being trained to be. Your lack of control will destroy your soul. That's who a real man is. That's the image. Now, let me take the last couple of minutes and talk about how you become a real man. That's great. I know there are many opinions on this. My job is not to add to opinions. It's to point you to God's word. Two things every man needs to do. The first one, really simple, first kind of starting block is discipleship. Let me say this clearly. You need someone here and now modeling what it looks like to follow Jesus. I asked our staff. I threw it out on social media. I asked other pastors, other friends and mentors in my life, male and female. And the one universally agreed upon thing men need to become the men God's calling them to be is older men modeling life for them. Now, listen, they, they don't need classes or books. I mean, they need those, but not primarily. They need older men. And this only works if the older men are Titus 2-2. If he's just an old boy with a beard, don't spend time with him. And that means, listen, some of you older men, you might need to submit yourself to the discipleship of younger men for a season because they're older than you in the faith. Don't let your pride keep you from that. This is all discipleship is. You want a working definition? Discipleship, one person training another person how to follow Jesus. That's it. So if you want to be trained how to be a real man, that's the training you need. I don't have time to get fully into everything that discipleship is. Certainly we'll cover it again um, in the last two, chap uh, two sermons on Titus. But here's the basic deal. Training, discipleship, training, what, it's heart level assessment. What's going on down here? What do I believe? And then it's a challenge to have a changed response to the gospel in your life. So here's three questions I use in discipleship. This is a starting block. The first one, sit down with a guy, where are you now? You can start with this manhood profile, right? For, for example, sound in faith. Are you sound in faith? Are you still believing that God wants to use you to change someone else's life? Have you shared the gospel ever? This is an assessment, not just of your behavior, but why you are where you are. All right, that's important, because if we just say, what's your behavior? Let's change the behavior. That's religion, right? We're going after the heart. So if you never share your faith, I'm going to ask you why. What's going on down there? Do you, are, are you afraid of what people are going to think about you? Well, what does the gospel say? 
the gospel. In fact, that's question number two. What does the gospel say about where you are? This is the heart work. If you're scared to share your faith because of fear, the gospel says you have approval and the acceptance of God. The only person you ever need approval for who will fill you with his love such that you don't need any others. And that is not only that, the greater fear should be where will that person spend eternity, not whether or not it'll be an awkward interaction between the two of you. Which then leads to the last question, what's your next step? Because verse 12 of our passage today, the gospel instructs. The gospel calls us up. So maybe that, you know, to use our example of conversation would be to share Christ. Maybe it's to pray about someone coming to faith. Older guys, you gotta be willing to step out and disciple younger men. Younger men, you gotta be willing to step out and ask to be discipled. Now, let me tell you the second starting block. Get to know Jesus, the one true man. You ever heard someone, I know we've all said it, heard somebody say it, he's a man's man, right? Usually means like he can bench press a city bus or smoke eight cigars at once, right? Both of which will kill you, you know, but this is what, like, hey, this is what a man's man. No, no, no. Jesus was the only true ever man's man, literally a man for all other men. This is Romans 5, 17. For if because of one's, one man's trespass, that's Adam, when he sinned, sin enters the world and we're all now affected by it. Death reigned through that one man because the wages of sin is death. So we all now die physically, spiritually apart from Christ. Much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. See, Christ is the model of the true man in verse two. He's self-controlled, denied his flesh to stay up on the cross, die for your sin and mind. He's sound in endurance to the very end. He never sinned. Even when tempted by Satan three times in the wilderness, no, he trusts God's words more than the enemies. He's worthy of respect. He respected others. He served others. He died for others. And even when his enemies crucified him, there was a Roman centurion looking up and saying, surely this is the son of God. Like all great men, he carried himself in humility and grace, yet he used power, great power when the moment called for it. He was sensible. He saw the world in all its brokenness, and yet because of his mission, he was bringing hope into that broken world. He was sound in faith. Even when the Father sends him to the cross, he says, not my will, but yours be done. A huge step of faith. He was sound in love. Greater love has no man than this, John 15, than someone lay down his life for his friends, and that was Christ. Y'all, it's, it's a model, Christ's life, but it's more than that too. It's where the power for manhood comes from. You can be self-controlled. Why? Because he set you free from the sinful desires of the flesh. You can live a humble, dignified life, worthy of respect because the only approval you need, God's approval you have, you have in Christ. You can live sound in faith because his faithfulness means that he won't let you go even when you fail. You can love others relentlessly because you are being filled with the never-ending, always faithful, always abundantly overflowing love of Christ for you. And you can endure because the Holy Spirit within you will never fade. You see, the, the letter here, it's often just seen as instructional. But verses 11 through 14, embedded into these instructions is a story. Plant yourself, men, in that story of God's salvation that he's brought to all people that's instructing you and training you in righteousness. This is not just a moralistic to-do list that will burden you. No, it is a celebratory response to what Christ has done for you. 